I had an interesting week with this text. Habakkuk is uh, one of the prophets of um, the nation of Israel. He prophesied as the monarchy was coming to a close, but before the horrific exile of the nation of Judah by the Babylonians. He complains, and God answers. He complains about God's answer, and then he agrees to watch. God speaks again, and then he bursts into song. And we're, I'm splitting the song into two parts. One is Habakkuk's reflection, his personal reflections on what this has been like for him, and uh, his picture in song of the Lord. This is not the Lord's voice like it was in chapters 1 and 2. It's Habakkuk's understanding of what happens when the Lord shows up. And he's going to reflect on times where the Lord has shown up, uh, specifically the Exodus, but also in hopes of God showing up again. If you have your Bible, I'm going to start reading from Habakkuk chapter 3 at verse 3. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hands. And there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He he looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked. Laying him bare from thigh to neck, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, and rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. I wrestled all week with this text, as I said, because... Habakkuk is going back and forth between what God has already done in the life of the nation of Israel and what he's going to do. Literally, verse 3, I believe, is a, is a picture of the Exodus. God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. If you're familiar with the area, these are references to places in south of Jerusalem, as in coming up from Egypt. But then look at 3b. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. I don't think that was about the Exodus. Now I've been wrestling with this. I've actually been talking with other pastors. There are um, three other pastors in our presbytery who are preaching on Habakkuk for Advent. We're all doing it a little bit differently. And with, there's plenty of argument. As an example, verse 5 says, before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. And one of the pastors is wondering whether we should connect that with uh, the pandemic. 
I don't think so because I think it's a reference to the Exodus. When God repeatedly warned the nation of Egypt, which gave them a chance to repent and turn to him instead of their false and idolatrous and horrifically violent gods, I believe that's what that's a reference to. And that might sound technical to you. That sound li- might sound like odd history, and you might still be wondering on week three, do I really have the mental bandwidth to <laughs> grapple with Habakkuk? I understand, like, the words of red in the Bible, and maybe you've convinced me that the Psalms matter. Do I really need to be familiar with Habakkuk? And I think so. Not only because he's quoted three times directly and, and maybe one more time anecdotally in the New Testament, but because he models for us a vibrant faith. And vibrant faith heals us, draws near to our anxieties, encourages our mind and our very being as we trust the Lord. The, the, the verse that's quoted so often in the New Testament is about our options. Our options are to trust ourselves or to trust him. Chapter 2, verse 4. So, all that being said, what does Habakkuk do that we can learn from? He remembers. One of the most profound moves a Christian makes is to become, be or become, a remembrancer to your own heart and mind, and also to your spiritual community, of what God has done in your life. God showed up in the Exodus, verses 4 and 5. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hands, and there he veiled his power, I think is a reference to... um, I got real blurry there. That was cool. Was it cool? That was weird. That's a reference to how he led the nation, literally, fire by night and a cloud by day. In verse 7... He says, I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. So all of the nations had heard what happened in Egypt. And so they were nervous and scared. And some went to war against Israel. Some lied to Israel to get out of sin. Some probably turned to the Lord. We're not sure about all of that. But Habakkuk is remembering that people were made nervous by what God had done. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stood still in their place. That's a reference to a battle at Gibeah where God defended his people. Verse 14, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. So the Egyptians so foolishly followed the nation of Israel into, uh, they attempted to catch them as they were crossing the Red Sea as the waves were parted. Therefore, they died essentially by their own hand, but because of the work of the Lord. This Again, this sounds like 3,000 year old what? But what has God done in your life that is good to remember and to reflect on? Advent invites us to wait, both in the knowledge of, of what Christ accomplished, sorry, both to remember the nation of Israel waiting upon his incarnation, and now we're waiting on what he's going to do. And I believe Habakkuk is going back and forth in his song, both reflecting on what God did in the Exodus and what we're waiting for God to do. And, And my favorite of our Christmas hymns reflect on that also. Uh, O come, O come, Emmanuel, 
understands the metaphor of the Exodus, understands the beauty of the incarnation of Christ, and understands that we continue to mourn and that we're exiles. What is our hope? What are we waiting on? Verse 3b, his splendor to cover the heavens. I think verse 6 is about the return of Christ when he will not come as a baby. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. One of the verses that Dan led us in reading is about the second coming of Christ, when the the physical earth will deal with his presence. Verses 8 through 10, 12 and 13 and 15 are about God returning. Habakkuk is praising God after complaining to him. And I am, I'm very fond of this as an Advent text because it, it lays right in front of us the tension of our very lives, right? We have so much to celebrate because Jesus became flesh. And yet we have so much to mourn because he has not yet come back and put all things to rights. We have so much to pray about in thanks and sing about in thanks and so much to mourn in both of those. The holidays are an interesting time, I think, also because uh, the, the culture would lead us to believe that it's the most wonderful time of the year. And for most humans I know, there's at least a, a, a big chunk of the pie that is the holidays. It's very lonely. And they're forced, um, by ver- partly by virtue of the way the culture approaches it, but also because of the reality of humanity, and the fact that sin and death and loneliness are still a very significant part of the human condition. We struggle to even survive the holidays. And the world would encourage us to um, deal with that through diversion or through drink or through um, hooking up, frankly. Right? And Habakkuk models going to God with our complaints. And then our complaints about his answers. And that relationship gives peace to our hearts. It doesn't, that peace doesn't take away the loneliness, but it does comfort us. I wonder what your favorite Advent hymn is. As many of you who have been here for years have noticed... Um, uh, Christmas is not my favorite holiday, although I'm really coming around on it. Those of you that love Christmas, I'm coming around. I realized for years my favorite Christmas music was from the John Denver and the Muppets album, which frankly is pantheistic, so that's troubling. But the reason that I love that album is I learned it when my Christmases were more secure than they were later in life. I'm coming around on songs like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, Because they lead me in singing about both my hope and the joy and celebration of Jesus becoming flesh, but also that we mourn still, that we are indeed exiles here on the earth. I'm going to give you a really, really practical encouragement, and I just won't know if you do it unless you tell me. Uh, create a, a Spotify playlist of your favorite Christmas hymns that, that have to do with the Incarnation and have to do with our future hope. 
And those of you that are like, what's Spotify? Call your kids. They'll walk you through it. It's one of the greatest apps ever. But in addition to Sunday, we have the opportunity to sing and to pray our hope. And this might seem like an extension, but Habakkuk here is singing about God's presence in the earth, both what happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future. We have the opportunity to continue to sing. Augustine said, the man who sings prays twice. Because we're speaking to our own hearts and minds and souls about God. Advent creates a a burden for us. And and the reason I chose this word is because the word oracle, which is the description Habakkuk gives of his little book, uh, could also be translated as burden. Oracle is a better translation, but there's a burden to it, right? The oracle here transitions into a song, and yet there's a burden of it. There's a burden for us to live in light of it. There was a burden for Habakkuk, which was dealing with God, which is better than not dealing with God, but it was a burden nonetheless. Most of the prophets of the nation of Israel were not liked. Um, we, We talk about them, well, probably not very much, first of all, but then second of all, we think perhaps... They had these lovely lives because God spoke directly to them and and often, not in the case of Habakkuk, but often told them what to tell either the entire nation of Israel or the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, sometimes kings. But it was a burden for Habakkuk as he remembered the story of Israel. And it's a burden to remember it. How do I want to say this? The burden of remembrancing is one of freedom. It feels like religious activity to us, but if we take chapter 2, verse 4, and learn from it, we learn that when we remind ourselves the story of God's pursuit of his people, the story of the gospel, we're actually releasing the burden. For Habakkuk, this is remembering freedom from Egypt into Canaan. God removed the Canaanites because they worshipped Moloch, which meant sacrificing your children. What Habakkuk is understanding is that they are going to come under siege of Babylon, and they are going to be freed from that into the temple. Perhaps, in truth, one of the more glorious chapters of the nation of Israel, because they then took, I think, more seriously the promises and the covenant of God. For us, the burden that we're freed from is from sin into righteousness, right living. More specifically, we're freed from anxiety into the peace of Christ. We're freed from a sense that life is without purpose into a knowledge that we are given purpose as worshipers of God, as those who get to care for neighbors and then those who seek the shalom of God in our neighborhood. Chapter 2, verse 4, says the righteous will live by faith, starts with a description of the opposite of faith. I think of the opposite of faith as doubt, but Habakkuk teaches us something so profound. The opposite of faith is not doubt. In fact, doubt is part of faith. 
according to Habakkuk, who complained about God's silence and then about God's answer. So he's doubting all sorts of things. The opposite of faith, according to Habakkuk, quoted either three or four times in the New Testament, depending on how you read Ephesians 2.8, is pride. What does pride do? Trusts itself, not God. That's what I was assuming when I named all these things that we're freed from and into. What do we do? I think what we do is act like Habakkuk. We're not supposed to be like Habakkuk, but we have his word because it's a model for us of faith, which is to complain to God, which is way better, more faithful than complaining about him. Then we listen. And we complain again if we don't like what we heard. And we wait. And then we sing. But the burden ultimately is the Lord's. In verse 8, it says, Was your wrath against the rivers, was your anger against the rivers, or your indignation against the sea? And then in verse 13, He's going to say, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Habakkuk there is referencing Genesis 3 and the ultimate binding and crushing of Satan that happens when the Lord returns. But the burden is his. The opportunity for us is to express fully to him our doubt and anxiety, our questions, our anger at him and at the job he's doing in terms of our limited understanding. And once we've been honest about that truth, there's so much peace and joy available to us. We'll focus on that a little bit more next week. Habakkuk's description of why he bursts into song at the beginning and at the end of the song. Once we've been honest with him, we experience the truth that that burden is indeed his. That's the life of faith, isn't it, friends? Is reminding ourselves that the burden is his, not ours. Then we get to follow and trust him. Charles Spurgeon says that faith is reason at rest in God. That's why I I think this is worthwhile to open the text that we might trust him more deeply through hearing his word. This is why we sing like Habakkuk did. This is our reasoning with ourself and receiving the rest of God. There are so many burdens of this world. I think beauty can be a burden, right? This is actually a picture I took with my iPhone 8 coming up the steps from our baptismal. And I've come up those steps hundreds of times, and if it's so many times, I have been burdened by the beauty of it. Because you can see the hills, because you can see the hill of the church, but also the distant hills, and the sky is so often so beautiful there. And I want to share that, right? Both what's good and what's tricky about social media. (laughs) The burden it puts on us to share the beauty that we see. There are so many kinds of burdens. We have burdens of information. Burdens of our anxiety. We have physical burdens. If you have a mortgage or college debt or children who you wish to go to college, those are burdens. Health 
And yet the Christian life is setting those burdens before God by faith and receiving back from him life. That's what verse 13 reminds us. Advent is about a burden of salvation that's entirely his. God goes out for the salvation of his people. He pursues. And this is where I think it's good to to be gripped by all that Habakkuk has to show us through the Lord giving him this vision, this oracle. Remember, where are we in the story? So God exists eternally. In three persons, which means he's never been lonely. He did not create us because he needed us. He did not create us because he was alone. He wasn't alone. And he did create us out of an overflow of his love. But he gives his creatures free will. And they fall. And sin. And he goes after his people. He went out for the salvation of his people. And then he recreates. This is both the large story of scripture... And a story that we see repeated over and over again throughout the Bible. The nation of Israel, so Habakkuk knows his Bible. His song reflects Exodus 15, Deuteronomy chapter 32, Judges 5, different songs and stories of God's redeeming and pursuing of his people. I would argue that Habakkuk is a little more focused on uh, God's return after Jesus than those songs, but he knows those songs, which means he knows where he is in the story. The nation of Israel um, was freed was redeemed out of slavery. So they were created as a nation. They were given over to slavery. Then God redeems them and calls them to himself. But then they sin. God allows them to be punished by the other nations. And then he brings them back. Habakkuk knows that this is about to happen again. In about 15 years, they're going to be, um, become the slaves of Babylon. And he also knows that the pattern of God is to go out for the salvation of his people. And so he knows that they'll be freed again. Where are we? This is when Advent and Easter are the most uh, profound times, I think, that we remember where we are in the great story. We are after verse 3a, and verse 4, and 5, and 7, 11, and 14. Now, we understand the work of Christ as as a... a greater and more powerful metaphor of the Exodus. Jesus in John chapter 6, verses 32 through 35 said that we have been ransomed from an even worse slavery. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, uses this as an incredible extended metaphor to remind us that we get to follow God who has redeemed us, though we wait for his return. So in Advent, we have received salvation, not in Advent, Advent forces on us attention where we know that we have received salvation because of the work of Christ, and yet we continue to mourn. Advent reminds us that we have the knowledge of the Messiah, and we're waiting for his return. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from the thigh to neck. Selah, which is a musical term, reminding us that Habakkuk is singing this. I'm going to describe salvation, and I'm going to encourage you to consider these words. If you call Jesus Lord, it means you're known. 
It means you're fully known in him. If you call Jesus Lord and follow him, it means that you have been fought for and are even now being prayed over by him. If Jesus is yours and you are his, that means you are loved and secured in him. It means you're forgiven. It means you're liked. It means God is fond of you. It means you're redeemed, justified. As I say those words, how's your mind doing with it? If you're like Habakkuk, you're struggling with that. Maybe it's in your emotions. Maybe it's not in your mind. Maybe it's fully in your mind and fully in your emotions. But you're not confident. Something in your semi-conscious doesn't believe that you're known and fought for and loved and secured and forgiven and liked and redeemed and justified. Those are my riffs on salvation. What Habakkuk invites us to do is to be honest about our doubts and then to be gripped by through song and prayer through study through conversation through internal wrestling the fact that God goes out for the salvation of his people until he appears again if any of those words resonated as in that's what I struggle with, known or fought for, loved, secured, forgiven, liked, redeemed, justified. Now we're actually having an Advent conversation that ignores the culture that believes we should just feel happy because it happens to be a time of year where there are more lights and presents around. If we actually realize where our faithful doubt is, we're having a profoundly biblical Advent conversation. Because he has appeared, and yet we continue to mourn because we're exiles and grieve. In 2020, that might be even easier to understand than in other years, which is not a silver lining. It's a reality. But as followers of Jesus, we might understand Peter's language of exile and Habakkuk's and Jeremiah's. We might understand the song that we've known for years about this. And so we have a very basic opportunity. Again, Habakkuk summarizes the life of faith. That the righteous live by faith. So we follow. That's our opportunity. For many of us, the holidays will be at least partially, if not profoundly, lonely. And the culture would say, hook up if you're single. That's the answer to your loneliness. And of course, what does that produce? More loneliness. If you're married and lonely, the culture would say, like, let that resentment build. Find some distractions or diversions because it's not getting any better. Don't go find your spouse and be honest with them about how you could love them better in sin. Christians who are, are single trust Christ in their singleness. Married Christians trust Christ in their marriage. And we follow him towards those tough conversations of finding one another. 
For many of us, the holidays are going to increase our anxiety. And the culture would say, go buy something. What happens after we buy something? Probably more anxious. Even if we really like the thing. For many of us, we either struggle with depression in this season or regularly, and the culture would say, have a drink. Create a diversion for yourself. The irony, again, is we're probably going to end up more depressed. The life of faith says pray. Call a Christian friend. Read. (laughs) And this sounds so anemic, I think, but it's so true to Habakkuk. Create a worshipful playlist and listen to it and sing along. Here's Habakkuk singing just after doubting and complaining in the midst of great fear about the Babylonians that are about to destroy the nation of Israel. He still was able to praise because he's a follower of God. Until his splendor covers the heavens and the earth, we continue to follow in song and in prayer, in obedience, which is the most spiritual activity available to us. Advent is a burden that is entirely the Lord's. It is a burden of salvation until he appears. In the meantime, we receive the kingdom by faith, which is righteousness, joy, and peace, even during a very, very challenging season. Would you pray with me? God, I ask that even as the world is perhaps less full of song than it typically is this year, that you would draw us to sing to you about you and about us and about the world. Father, Son, and Spirit, minister to our hearts in this time of anxiety and grief. And also in this time where we reflect on the incredible crossover you made, becoming flesh. That we might be yours and you ours forever. Amen.